0: Section 11 of Other People's Lives This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Other People's Lives by Rosa Nouchette Carey Book 4 A Woman's Faith Chapter 2 The Wild Man in the Woods Little Ben Martin's Terror of the Wild Man of the Woods abated after the first few moments the stranger's voice though gruff was decidedly friendly and no child would have mistrusted those honest melancholy eyes Benji left off crying and only gasped a little when a hand rested benignly on his curls there's a brave little chap observed the wild man approvingly now tell me your name and i will show you something pretty "'that I have been saving up for a good boy. "'I am Benjamin Robert Martin,' replied Benjy, "'regaining his powers of speech with marvellous celerity. "'And Davy's name is David William Martin, "'and we live with Mother and Miss Merrick in that cottage yonder.' "'And Ben pointed with his chubby hand to the bottom of the wooded hill, "'where the red roof of Fir Cottage shone in the afternoon light.' now please show me your pretty thing but his delight was unbounded when the stranger extracted from his pocket a tiny but beautifully carved model of a goat the result of many an hour of patient and painstaking work why it's like the nanny that lives down at the cromptons and always butts at the big dog i am a good boy mostly continued ben looking up into the wild man's face with engaging frankness though i would not play able but perhaps to-morrow i won't mind so much so may i have it yes you may have the billy-goat returned the man gently it was for you little un that i made it and there's a kangaroo for david he is another good boy i know oh david's always good returned ben carelessly Except when he fights the boys in the playground and comes home with a black eye to mother, and then she always cries. Why is your sleeve pinned up to your coat? Aren't you got no arm inside it? And Ben's eyes grew round and pitiful. No, Sonny, they were forced to cut it off because it hurt so. I will tell you all about that by and by. Now give me a kiss for that pretty Billy of yours. But Ben hung shyly back and shook his head. I don't never kiss no one but Mother and Miss Merrick, he said, shaking his curls over his eyes. Please, I must go to Mother now. And so you shall, Sonny, but you must do something for me. I have more than one pretty thing in this pocket for good little lads. Now, laying a little battered locket in his hand, black with age and exposure, but with a tiny curl of reddish-brown hair, distinctly visible, I want you to put this in your mother's hand, in her hand, Benji mind, and say to her, Will has sent you this. Benji nodded as he gripped the locket tightly. He was hungry, and he knew it was near tea-time and he was dying to show his nanny-goat to david he sped down the hill as fast as his sturdy legs would carry him passing david like a miniature whirlwind david who felt rather sulky and ill-used took no notice as benji fled past him overturning his altar of fir cones and a whole oyster-shell full of acorns that he had carefully collected Benji had caught sight of his mother coming up the little lane to call them in to tea. Bessie's grey sunbonnet was tilted over her eyes, and she had a clean cotton apron tied over her neat black gown. "'What's to do with you, my dearie?' she said in a soothing voice as Ben rushed up to her excitedly. "'Oh, mother!' he exclaimed eager to make a clean breast to his dearest friend and confidant. I was a naughty boy, and would not play Cain and Abel for Davy, and the wild man frightened me so, for I thought he was fee fo fum and he had a horrid cloak and no arm, but he is a nice man too. He told me to give you this laying the blackened locket in her palm and to say will have sent you this but alas here poor benji had a second fright for no sooner had bessie's eyes rested on the curl of reddish brown hair than she uttered a cry so keen and piercing that it reached the little sister in her parlour while benji scared by his mother's white face clung to her with all his might. But Bessie flung him from her so roughly that the child almost fell on his face. Where, where, she panted, and then caught him by the shoulder as though to shake the answer from him. Where, for God's sake, where? And poor Benji, who felt as though all his little world was in chaos, and who had never been so roughly handled in all his happy childish life, had only presence of mind to point up the hill before he broke into another storm of sobs. Up there, yes, there was certainly something dark moving cautiously between the tree trunks. Then Bessie's mood changed, and her sudden frenzy seemed to calm down, and the next moment, her clear, shrill voice sounded through the wood. will, will, what's keeping you, my lad and then she took off her sunbonnet and waved it a little wildly, for such a trembling had seized her limbs that she was unable to move. "I am coming, my lass, bide a moment, Bessie was shouted back, and then her dazed eyes saw a tall cloaked figure coming swiftly down the woodland path and the next moment it seemed to Benjy as though his mother was suddenly caught and entangled and lost in the dreadful flapping cloak but Bessie with her cheek against the empty sleeve was only sobbing out in an ecstasy over and over again ay my lad my lad i knew you would come back to me my own dear will and so on the soft drawling voice only broken upon by a man's tearless sobs dear heart true heart was all will could find to say for the joy of seeing that comely brown head resting against his shoulders seemed to deprive him of speech but Bessie, who had lived for this moment and who had rehearsed this scene at least five hundred times, was the first to recover herself. So she wiped away the tears that almost blinded her and began, womanlike, to notice the changes in her beloved. And first she kindly touched the unkempt beard that was so thickly threaded with grey and noted the thin, sunken cheek and the haggard, weary eyes, and as she remembered the handsome sailor who had bidden her good-bye that summer's morning, a sudden lump in her throat seemed to choke her. Next she stooped down and kissed the empty sleeve, pitifully, and and then both her arms went round his neck. Oh, what have they done to you, my lad? she said in her tender, slow voice. Will could have wept like a child when he heard it. It is only a useless old hulk you have got, Bessie, he said hoarsely. When you took me for better or worse, you little thought how it would be. But here Bessie laid a strong work-worn hand upon his lips. Nay, Will, you shall not say that. Have not the little lads? and me prayed for you night and morning? Only let me see my will's face again? That is what I would say night after night, and it fairly drove me crazy when they would have it that you were dead. Dear heart, but I was near death more than once. I never thought to see your bonny face again. Then Bessie shivered, but the next moment she smiled in his face that is over and gone will now come home my lad for you look wearied to death and she would have led him down the hill but will resisted and stood still i must speak to my boy first where is david wife the little sonny and i have already made friends then bessie looked across the wood in some perplexity the boy's playground was empty and only the sandy cat was still playing with the fir cones while the black sow with grunts of satisfaction was wallowing amongst the acorns david called out bessie loudly and then her keen gray eyes saw the little lad hiding behind the poultry coop benjie had discovered him first both the boys were crying that ain't father "'That ugly black man,' David had said. "'And Benji's answer had not been consoling. "'I don't know nothing about that,' gasped Benji. "'Only Mother just screeched and flew to him. "'He is a wild man, Davy, but he is not fee foe "'and he gave me this nanny-goat. "'But we don't want him to come and live with us, do we?' "'Be quiet, Benji,' and David stamped his foot. The bare idea made the boy furious. How could this grim, bearded foreigner be his handsome sailor father, whose portrait he had so often kissed when he wished it good night? Benji could not remember him, of course, but David had a vivid recollection of a brown, smooth face that he had loved to stroke, and smiling eyes THAT HAD LOOKED INTO HIS. THAT AIN'T FATHER, HE MUTTERED, AND OUT OF SHEER VEXATION AND PERPLEXITY HE MINGLED HIS TEARS WITH BENJIE'S. DAVID, COME HERE, I WANT YOU, dearie," EXCLAIMED BESSIE ANXIOUSLY. BUT DAVID ADVANCED reluctantly, AND HIS EYES WERE FIXED ON THE GROUND. HE LOOKED SULLEN AND ILL AT EASE. WON'T YOU SPEAK TO YOUR DADDY, DAVID? pleaded Bessie piteously. Will, the lads are a bit scared at you, but you must not take it unkindly. David was only three when you saw him last, but he is your very image. And then she looked proudly at her boy and held out her hand coaxingly to Benji. And the next moment Benji was clinging to her apron and hiding his face in her gown. "'But David held aloof. "'That ain't my dad,' he repeated rebelliously. "'You must give them time, wife,' observed Will, a little sadly. "'I doubt that I am only a scarecrow to frighten children. "'Let me sit down somewhere and rest myself a bit, "'and David will take to me later on.' "'Claire Merrick saw the little group passing her window.' "'Bessie's grey hood had fallen off. "'She was holding Will's hand. "'Benji was still clinging to her skirt. Davy, with downcast eyes and heaving breast, was following them. "'Will has come home.' "'That was all Bessie said, "'as the little sister hurried out with her congratulations. "'What did I tell you, Miss Merrick? "'Was not I right when I said "'the same world held my lad and me?' god be praised for all his mercies and then bessie led will into the pleasant homely sitting-room with its window opening on to the honeysuckle veranda. and that evening the little sister saw her no more david refused to make friends with his father that night and all bessie's coaxing speeches could not draw him from his corner where he sat doubled upon his little stool and pretending to read robinson Crusoe. will gave her a hint presently to leave him alone now and then he cast longing glances on the boy david's sturdy limbs and clear bright eyes reminded him of his own childhood will was hungry for his boy's caresses but he was obliged to content himself with Benji. Benji was perfectly friendly and had climbed up on his knee in the most confiding way. David thinks you are too ugly and black to be our dad, he observed confidentially. But David only glowered at his little brother and hunched his shoulders over his book. David had never felt so unhappy, so out in the cold before. He was an imaginative and affectionate boy, and constant companion with grown-up people had made him precocious. From babyhood he had idealized the memory of his father. Dad was his hero. He was not only noble and beautiful, but he was the bravest and best man in the world. To have his ideals so ruthlessly destroyed was keen suffering to David and indeed poor Will was a somewhat unsightly object that evening in childish eyes. David slunk off to bed presently, when he could bear his isolation and wretchedness no longer. It was far more comfortable sobbing out his griefs under the bedclothes than making believe to read Robinson Crusoe. And then sleep, that comforter of unhappy childhood, laid his drowsy fingers on david's hot forehead and lulled him to forgetfulness david slept late the next morning the sandy cat woke him by jumping on his chest and as he rubbed his eyes with a sleepy exclamation he was aware of a strange man standing by the window david was wide enough awake now and he regarded the stranger distrustfully What business had brought him there? He had never seen him before, and yet there was something familiar in his appearance. To be sure, his blue coat and brass buttons proved him to be a sailor. Why, Dad had a coat like that. Mother had it locked up in the big chest. It was rather old and white about the seams, but he and Benji always admired it so though there was a big nasty stain like tar on one shoulder and here david started up in bed as his eyes caught sight of a familiar patch at the movement behind him the stranger turned round and david saw a thin beardless face with sunken cheeks and curly hair mixed plentifully with grey and a pair of tired kind eyes that seemed to look straight into his heart Do you know your dad better this morning, Sonny? And as David, sorely repentant and ashamed, began to cry, Will sat down on the side of the bed and drew the boy's head to his shoulder. I have got rid of the beard, observed Will, stroking David's hair. I don't look so much like a wild man of the woods, do I, Davy? The coat's a size too big for me, but mother made me put it on. And then Bessie, peeping through the open doorway, saw David nestle affectionately to his father. You are more like my dad this morning, he whispered, though you ain't so handsome as dad was. And then Bessie slipped away, for the joy that overflowed her simple heart vented itself in loving ministries for the husband who had come back to her from the dead. The news spread like wildfire through sandy lands that will martin had come home and all day long sympathizing and curious neighbors climbed up the steep hill path to Fir cottage just to shake will's hand and wish bessie joy one of the last rivals was the vicar and to him will told his strange story as far as he knew there was no other survivor of the crew of the ill-fated Arthusa, and his own escape had been little short of a miracle. When the vessel went down, he had kept afloat for a while, and had then seized a plank that was drifting past him, and by and by, as daylight dawned, he managed to scramble on to a boat that had its keel uppermost. A strong current seemed carrying him along and before night he found himself washed ashore on what looked to be like a bare reef he was battered bruised and starving and he imagined that he fainted for when he came to himself he was not in the same place but was lying bound hand and foot under a clump of bushes and some dusky figures were sitting in a semicircle around a fire He had fallen into the hands of savages, but happily, as he found out later, they were not cannibals. But he knew little of what passed for some time. Probably his head had received some hurt, for a succession of ghastly dreams and fancies haunted him. Now and then he must have had lucid intervals, for once he found his limbs were free and that he was lying on a bed of leaves and another time he distinctly remembered drinking a long draught of coconut milk from a calabash. Afterwards he found out that the chief's wife had tended him. When he recovered, he set himself to make friends of his captors, and being handy like most sailors, he made all sorts of toys and little things to please the women and children but his greatest feat was bandaging the arm of a young savage who had received a terrible flesh wound from the stroke of an axe. But for Will's timely help he would have bled to death. After this he seemed to have acquired the reputation of a medicine man, and was very well treated in consequence. He had a little hut constructed for him, and had plenty of food and coconut milk but he still found himself a close prisoner when the men went out on their fishing expeditions the women kept watch over him and the least attempt to escape the island always brought the whole encampment at his heels with threatening gestures and loud clamoring that soon drove him back to his hut will had no means of learning his true situation and only a rough reckoning by cutting notches in the trees gave him any idea of time. But his opinion was that he must have been on that island for more than five years before he managed to effect his escape. His clothes had long been worn out, and he looked almost as wild as the savages among whom he lived. When a boat full of sailors from some vessel cruising near rode into a sheltered creek at the island happily the men of the tribe had gone off on one of their fishing expeditions and the women and children had hidden themselves among the trees at the sight of the white men so no one saw will creeping down on his hands and knees among the prickly bushes hello here comes our man friday exclaimed a bright-faced young middy, and like Friday, poor Will dropped abjectly on his knees. For God's sake, gentlemen, take me with you, he implored almost hysterically. I am an English sailor, and these savages have kept me prisoner all these years. My name is Will Martin. We got him in the boat in a jiffy, related one of the sailors afterwards my eyes how gurney stared when the man friday began talking good english but we were only just in time for two canoes came round the creek and in another moment they would have let their arrows fly as it was they followed us pretty closely it was in this way that will reached the cape but his misfortunes were not over a few days after he landed The accident occurred that resulted in weeks of helpless suffering and eventually in the loss of his arm for the second time he lay at death's door and when at last he left the hospital he was a broken man penniless enfeebled and almost hopeless and if he had not fallen into the hands of good samaritans bessie would never have had her husband back some dutch sailors who lived up-country took him with them in their wagon, and Will stayed with them until he had recovered his strength. His one idea was to reach England, and see with his own eyes if his wife was still faithful to his memory. But after all these years, he feared to write. One day fortune befriended him. A rich young Englishman, travelling for his own amusement, crossed his path unexpectedly and hearing his strange story, took him back with him to the Cape and finally shipped him to England. The moment he heard my wife was a Sandylands woman, continued Will, he turned round and asked me if my name were not Will Martin, and it was he who first gave me hope that my Bessie was still faithful to me. And the name of your benefactor? asked the vicar quickly. Well, sir, he did not tell me for a bit, but when he bid me good-bye on board, he said we should meet again soon, for he had finished his travels, and would be home very shortly. And then he said his name was Jack Compton, and that he lived at the big house at Sandylands. My word, how my heart jumped when he said that! For was it not Madame Compton, who had given Bessie her wedding gown? though I had never set eyes on her son before. I hope this was the end of your troubles, Martin, observed the vicar with kindly sympathy, as Will paused for a moment. No, sir, I am sorry to say that Murad the Unlucky was still to the fore. Dry your eyes, Bessie, my lass, for I have nearly finished now. I reached London all right, but the bed they gave me for my night's lodging must have been damp, But anyhow, I had a bout of rheumatism that kept me in the hospital for well nigh five weeks. As soon as I could pick up my strength, I started for Sandylands. But somehow, when I reached Brentwood, my nerve seemed gone, and I could not face the idea of walking up to Fur Cottage. Would you believe it? I kept walking up and down in the Brentwood Road until I was fairly ready to drop and when the rain came i made up my mind to bide a night at the hen and chickens oh will we must go and see joan exclaimed bessie rapturously she is the best friend i have in Sandylands. true but there is one duty for us to do first returned the vicar with unusual solemnity and then he lifted his hand meaningly as the church bell sounded across the valley Bessie put on her grey hood without a word, and she and Will, with the boys following them, walked meekly behind the vicar. As the little procession crossed the village green, people hurried out of their cottages and stood looking after them. Then first one, and then another, followed them through the lich gate, even a knot of workmen standing in the doorway of the fox and hounds looked sheepishly at each other, and then emptied their pipes. Never had the vicar had such a congregation on a weekday. Before the short service was over, the church was full. Bessie's heart heaved with pent-up sobs, as she and Will knelt hand in hand, and there was not a dry eye in the church when the vicar, with a break in his sonorous voice, returned thanks for the great mercies vouchsafed to two members of the congregation. But perhaps the crowning glory of the service to Bessie was when she heard Will's voice, a little hoarse and quavering, joining in her favorite hymn, the very one she had sung to herself the previous day as she stood at the door of the hen and chickens. The exile is at home, O nights and days of tears, O longings not to roam, O sins and doubts and fears What matters now grief's darkest day, the king has wiped those tears away End of section eleven